after that race, I literally couldn't walk. Like in my, my, like my legs from my knees to my hips were just, were just weak. Like they were just broken. And so in the airport on the way home, I actually had, had to get help to get from one plane to the next. Cause it was so bad. Um, and then from then, um, I eventually just kind of, you know, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. And there was some more pain in the left hip this time. So, and then again, I thought it was like, it was just such a significant pain. I'm like, something is wrong. And so I got another MRI and it came back clear. So then everyone's thinking it's in my head mentally because it just doesn't make any sense, you know? But then things just got really, really bad. Like my, my quads would burn at night and during the day, like just a constant burning. And then it came to a point where I I went for a run one day and I said, I'm just going to try to run. And I got about four miles and then my, I just got shut down. I couldn't walk. Um, I, I stayed on the side of the road for about 15 minutes trying to stretch, trying to do all this stuff. And I ended up walking home and it took me two hours to walk home because I was, it just, everything broke down. And from then on, I couldn't walk down the stairs without holding on to handrails. And my mind started to be just like very, very, I was depressed, you know, every like, and I was trying to tell Tim, I'm like, Tim, something is seriously wrong with me. That was Angela Nath, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jess, your host, and this is the spot, the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. Our guest today continues to enrich her story by living it like a master. The fact that this is episode 111 is divine perfection at its best, as this number holds the elements of spiritual awakening and enlightenment. It has also been said that it's a message from the angels to stay on high alert so that we may watch our persistent thoughts because they are quickly becoming our reality. Was this planned? Of course not. Was there a script or agenda for this convo? Of course not. It was just another unfolding of connection in presence, something that Angela has been working skillfully with since her introduction to Mark Allen and the way of living known as shamanism. Angela has always loved nature, and interestingly, or not, depending on your view of an individual's life blueprint, she was connected with shamanism, which is steeped in deepening our connection with nature. Through this connection, realizing the interconnectedness with all that is. Under the teachings of Mark and shaman Brent Secunda, Angela began to shift her mindset. She learned tools and techniques, some of which she shares with us today, to navigate her life, especially when the waves crash in. In the fall of 2017, Angela noticed the first symptoms of what was eventually diagnosed as Lyme disease. From the point of noticing to the point of diagnoses was many months of unknown, along with intense and worsening discomfort in her body. She shares with us how she directed herself during that time and how she is currently working to heal herself from the disease in her body. Let's just say it's not stopping her one bit. On June 10th of this year, she lined up to tow the line at Ironman Boulder with one three-mile training run under her belt at less than an ideal pace for a professional. But she had a plan to swim, bike, and then run to Tim, her boyfriend and former professional himself. But because she's a one breath at a time kind of racer, she got to Tim at mile three and she kept going. I saw her on the course at mile four with a smile on her face of complete acceptance and a glimmer of joy that she was actually still moving. And then I saw her again in the last miles of the marathon as she held strong like the warrior that she is to claim sixth female pro on the day. Angela's mindset is one to emulate. She is a true champion. 
She grew up in British Columbia and has always been known for her strength on the bike. She's a multi-time 70.3 and Ironman champion, having taken the top spots in the 2014 Chattanooga and 2015 North American Championship. She's placed herself on the 70.3 podium over 20 times, but you gotta know that what we love most about this fierce competitor is her mindful and therefore skillful approach to sport and life. Angela is also founder of I Race Like a Girl, which was created with the intention to provide opportunities for girls and women to support and encourage and inspire one another in all endeavors. I cannot wait to dive into this combo, you guys. Thank you for all the great feedback on last week's show with Coach BJ and Troy. I love those two to pieces, especially when they are together. Sitting in their greatness is a position to behold. If you're treading in the world of the unknown and feeling like some guidance could get you back on track, shoot us a message and let's get connected. Coach BJ has more athlete spots open for triathlon and run training and also for just overall, I want to get moving, stay fit and lower my inner age kind of training. So let's do it, peeps. Our team is growing every day. If you're self-coached or you just love your coach, but you're feeling like the mental piece is the missing piece, then I am your girl. I work with many athletes that train their bodies with other coaches, but come to me for the mental piece. And this, my friends, is what I was put on this earth to do. And if none of that is your jam, but you just want to look super cool, then check out our new Yogi Triathlete Technical Trucker Hat from Boko Gear. We have a limited supply and they are already in production. We're estimating ship dates early August. This and all other links to connect with our high vibe, high level guests today can be found in the show notes for this episode on yogitriathlete.com. All right, a quick shout out to Bill and Aaron, our latest Patreon supporters who are now getting access to podcast previews, extras, yoga classes, and more. I just put up a quick recovery sequence yesterday to open the back body, hip flexors, and the sides of the torso. I'm looking forward to hearing how it feels in your body. So are you guys ready? Oh my, how I love this episode. Okay, let's do it. It is my supreme pleasure to hand you over to our convo with the highly evolved and connected master of life and sport, Angela Nath. I lived here for 10 years. Actually, like yeah. a million years ago, weren't you at a track workout with Angela? Yeah. Mm. And oh really? Oh. oh wow! I was starting to work with Tim. Okay. I met him on a plane ride, and he he we were talking about. I like Lucho. He's fun. He's so so great. you. Oh my yeah. god, we we're, love Lucho. We had him on the show last year. He's so awesome. He was such a good coach for he you, was BJ. So like matter of fact. Yeah. Like, why do you want to be out on the marathon for four hours? Like, <laughs> just so matter of fact. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Okay, do you want to coach me? <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah, awesome. we were at a track workout together. It was, it was yeah. funny. I think you were just. You were just starting. It might yeah, have been like was, 2008 probably. Yeah, around. that was my first year. Yeah. 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 So pro, first year pro. Yeah, f- yeah, first year kind of experiencing That's so everything. funny. Yeah, a long time. I know, yeah. it's so funny how things come full circle. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I know we were like juggling timetables and mm-hmm. appointments and everything, and we were like, hey man, if it's meant to be, it's going to happen, and yeah, here you, you are. Yeah, you guys were very flexible. <laughs> and super bonus, we have Mick with us today. Yes. Tell us a little bit about Mick. Well, Tim and I were down in Florida at a camp, and we kind of do things for the moment, or at least that's how I try to live my life now. Yeah, I think it's a great um, way. But Tim just lost a, a dog that he had for about 16 years, and so he he's he he, he loves dogs, and so we just kind of looked online, and he put this idea in my head, and so, you know, I'm very 
very fast acting man. So in an hour, I, I found Mick on, um, and he was available. And so we, so we talked about it that night and it was my birthday actually. And, um, we just said, yeah, well, yeah, let's do it. How old is he? He's five months. He's a mini schnauzer and, um, super fun. He's awesome. This, you know what? Boulder's the best place to go if, when you leave your dog at home. Oh yeah. I have spent the whole week with other people's dogs. It's been amazing. <laughs> uh, oh, we're getting a pic of him right now. Oh my yes, God. He's so yes. freaking cute. Oh, <laughs> he'll be, we'll put that as our teaser for who our podcast is. As long guesses. as you're fine with us. Promoting. I'm fine. Oh, because totally. yes, not everybody wants their, their children on, on social media. And I get that. So congratulations, girl, uh, six at Ironman Boulder. Yeah. And I know it wasn't a breeze. No, you know, I, I had no business doing what I did, actually. <laughs> um, prior to Ironman Boulder, I honestly have only run three miles at 10-minute pace outside. Um, because of the Lyme infection and stuff, I my basically from my waist to my knees is really, really weak. And anything against gravity, I can't do. It's just um, it's a co-infection I have that affects the nerves and the muscles. So I, I don't know where that came from, um, but the plan, the original plan was just to swim bike um, and then run to Tim, basically. And that was about three miles up the road. And I got there and I was in second place and I said, well, I feel okay. Like I'm, I'm going pretty slow, but I mean, I'm okay. He's like, well, let's just keep going. And we kind of laughed because he said, man, you look terrible. <laughs> and I said, I feel terrible. <laughs> That's the boost you need out there. <laughs> I know. We have a good relationship. Yeah. Um, and so then I just kind of just kind of kept jaunting um, upwards. And uh, I, I just was in the moment. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, I haven't raced for a while since I've, I've been sick. And, um, you know, as slow as it was, I just took it mile by mile and walked every aid station. And I've never done that. And it was just... It actually was a really good experience for me because, you know, not being able to run for however long now and, and, you know, about nine weeks ago, I could not walk down the stairs. It was just so debilitating. And um, so I'm really proud that I finished, <laughs> even though the time kind of is not very good for a marathon. But, you know, I, I just had no business actually being there. <laughs> where, does that, where does that come from, the, the ability? And I know you've been in the sport for a while, but where does yeah. that come from where you can you can only run three miles in a matter of how many weeks and be able to go out and do a marathon. Like where, where does that, where does the drive come from? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So for the last few years, I've been working with a sports psychologist through Red Bull. Um, his name's Craig Manning and he wrote the book, The Fearless Mind. It's a phenomenal book. And that's actually how I originally got, got a hold of him. But he's, he's helped me develop um, my mind basically in, in like, rather than being so internally focused, be, be more externally focused. And that's not to say to focus on other people, but just to be aware of your environment. And um, getting through the race on Sunday, it was, it was more just, I was just aware of everything, I guess you could say it. And I never really thought about what I was doing. I just, I just kept saying to myself in my head, I'm strong. And um, I, I don't know, I, I'm... It wasn't necessarily a drive. It was just, I felt, I felt right doing it, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I want to dive in deeper to this because I think you have a connection that is missing in a lot of athletes, the mm -hmm. connection to within what is within mm -hmm. us. But have you heard of the Bhagavad Gita? I've, I've heard the word. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great, it's like a great race manual for life. Oh. And it's, it's an ancient Indian spirituality text 
And it's about the every man's battle with the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, in this, there's a, there's a chapter called The Field and the Knower. And it's all about taking in the field. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. everything around you, the trees and the bees mm-hmm. and the people, the spectators, the pavement, the shoes that you're in, taking in all of that, even the body being a part of the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the knower is the one inside that says, just take another, like, you've got another step. Yeah, and that's exactly got step, what it was, yeah. And mm-hmm. you've got another step. And so not to be, and why I wanted to bring this up is because we talk a lot about, you know, people are out looking outside of themselves for answers. Mm-hmm. When we know that we have everything, I mean, we don't all know this, but I do know this now from the practices that I've done, that I've got everything I need within me. So there's a difference between looking outside of us for answers and then and looking outside of us to take it all in. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Because in a moment, there's so much. And I think what we learn when we really start to practice being in the present moment is that it's not, yes, it's internal because we're tapping into a stillness within us. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it's timeless. It's mm-hmm. limitless. There's so much to take in. Even right now, like wh- looking at, at the aspen leaves, like shaking outside and, you know, Mick and you and being in this amazing house and having the pot. Like there's so much going on mm-hmm. that we miss when we're not present. And so I think that's what you were doing is you were like taking in the field and like feeling all the energy around you, mm-hmm. which there's so much that we can pull from to assist us in moving forward. So I saw you around mile four, you mm-hmm. came up, um, I was on the corner, like Aaron Carson was there and Barry Siff and oh, yes. Crowley was there. Yeah. yeah, I was right there with those guys. And you came through and we, we saw you coming. We're like, oh, yeah, she's struggling, right? This is mile four. <laughs> yeah. And you just came through and you had this, you kind of cracked a smile and you said, this is as fast as my body's going to let yep. me go right now. And we were just like, yeah. And you went through. And of course, after everybody goes through, like we're watching you get down. We're just like, my God, she's such a warrior. That's amazing. And then I saw you later, like towards, like you were going to the finish. And I was like, oh, my God, she's still here, <laughs> like gutting it out. And you yeah. finished in six. And I think... That, you know, when I look at BJ's marathon time, when I look at like the age group marathon times, nobody had a fast marathon yeah, that it was, day. Yeah, it, it was a rough day. Definitely. It was a very tough, hot. As BJ described yeah. it, it was a tough man's course. It was survival yeah. of the fittest out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so I don't think that times even matter like in this, in this no, race. You, it was nutrition and just just dealing with the conditions with the, the whole conditions, day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. keeping your ego in check. Because yeah. that first, especially for the pros, any age groupers, but that first loop of the bike, I mean, uh, you were flying out yeah. on diagonal and then down Nelson yeah. and like you were going so fast. So you could, you would carry that momentum, but I think it was important to keep everything in check. Mm-hmm. Like there was a second lap mm-hmm. and it was only getting hotter <laughs> it was getting and the heat, hot. like that second lap, I just yeah. felt the heat just. Whew, yeah. Actually I down. found, I found the bike really, really hot comparatively to the run because of the, because the run, I would go to every aid station and grab ice and water and stuff. But the the bike, I would go to every aid station and get and get some water on me, but I mean, it would it would dry up and you'd be hot within a few minutes right away after. So. And you train in these conditions. I mean, you train out here in Boulder. Yeah, so. I've been here for about a year. I started training back up after taking a good amount of time off because of this um, about a month ago. So. Yeah, and you were here in Boulder before, and then you went back east, and so tell us about. Let's just give people a background. I mean, mm-hmm. you've been really transparent about what you're going through with Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And what were the first symptoms you were feeling? And when was that? Yeah, actually, so 
it's it like I didn't realize it at the time, but I was training and I got back into racing. And in November, I went to do a race a race overseas in Bahrain. And after that race, and and even during that race, I had some some significant quad pain. It was really random. Um, and, and we just kind of chalked it up to, you know, it was the last race of the season. We traveled overseas. I was probably sleeping on it funny, that kind of thing, but it never, it never went away. And it got to a point of pain where I thought it broke my femur. And so I got an MRI, got x-rays, they all came back clear and it just showed, um, inflammation in the muscles. So this was in December and it took almost eight weeks for me to feel like I could run. And I started running on a treadmill and it slowly kind of developed from there. We, then we went to camp in Florida and every day at camp, I was just so sore. Like my body just was like aching and it was super sore. And I just kind of chalked it up again. Well, you know, I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm out of shape, you know, that kind of deal. And, but I would complain like, oh, like my hips hurt. Like everything was just so achy. And so then I went and raced the following weekend down in Campeche or Campeche. And that race was just very, very subpar for me. But then again, I chalked it up because I was at camp. Um, but after that race, I literally couldn't walk. Like in my, my, like my legs from my knees to my hips were just, were just weak. Like they were just broken. And so in the airport on the way home, I actually had, had to get help to get from one plane to the next because it was so bad. Um, and then from then, um, I eventually just kind of, you know, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. And there was some more pain in the left hip this time. So, and then again, I thought it was like, it was just such a significant pain. I'm like, something is wrong. And so I got another MRI and it came back clear. So then everyone's thinking it's in my head mentally because it just doesn't make any sense, you know? But then things just got really, really bad. Like my, my quads would burn at night and during the day, like just a constant burning. And then it came to a point where I, I went for a run one day and I said, I'm just going to try to run. And I got about four miles and then my, I just got sh- shut down. I couldn't walk. Um, I, I stayed on the side of the road for about 15 minutes trying to stretch, trying to do all this stuff. And I ended up walking home and it took me two hours to walk home because I was, it just, everything broke down. And from then on, I couldn't walk down the stairs without holding on to handrails. And my mind started to be just like very, very, I was depressed, you know, everyone like, and I was trying to tell Tim, I'm like, Tim, something is seriously wrong with me. Like, and so then we started talking to a few friends that are doctors and stuff. And, um, uh, my one doctor who actually did my surgery on my foot, um, I was like, he knows me quite well and he knew something was up and, um, he said, you know, it sounds like you may have Lyme. And I'm like, Lyme, what's, what's that? You know, like I, like I've never, I've never experienced it. So then we started looking into it and it's like symptom after symptom, after symptom, after symptom. And, um, so then I went to one of his friends that's a specialist and I originally got the test for Lyme and it came back negative. And I went to a specialist in Boston prior to that. And she said, I had a virus, just take a couple weeks off. You're just overstressed. So I took time off, nothing changed. I got worse. So then I went to this, this one friend um, of mine, well, his friend, and we did a special test that you have to send away to, to test if you have the DNA of it in your system, because that's honestly the most reliable, accurate test. And there's big controversies within the medical system of why they don't do this, but it's very frustrating. But it came back positive, and it also came back positive for two co-infections, which the two co-infections are Babesia and Bartonella, and those ones are the most significant ones in terms of muscles and joints and and stuff like that. So um, 
yeah, so since then I've been on about four different antibiotics. I've been on mold issues, um, toxicity, trying to detox. So I'm on a bunch of stuff and I probably will be on it for about four to six months because it does take a bunch of cycles to get all the bacteria. And um, the one infection is, is, is kind of like malaria almost. And that's the one that's affecting my joints and muscles. So that's why when I, when I stand and walk and run, I, I, I honestly have a cap. Like I can't go faster than 10 minute miles. Like it's just so painful. Like um, but I, but I can, but I started to ride because I have, because I, I'm able to sit, you know, and that's, and that's good. And swimming has, ha, has come along as well. So, so you, the first symptoms come up in November and mm-hmm. then when, what, when do you get the test back from that DNA test? What is uh, the time frame here? That was in May. In May. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. So from November to May, that's there's something <laughs> brewing in your body. You know that oh, there's yeah. something, mm-hmm. right? Something seriously. Um, I don't want to say wrong because I don't think anything is wrong. I, you know, it's just like you know that whatever it is is festering and growing and it's not getting mm-hmm. better and mm-hmm. it's not going away. So when you get the, the, the hint that it might be Lyme and you get online and you see like symptoms, 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 symptoms where is your, like, where's your mindset? Because when you start looking up Oh, yeah, it's scary. What it is that you may or may not have. And then, like, if you get on any kind of, like, forum oh, or anything I, like I, that, it's, that. like, <laughs> it's basically worst-case scenario. Yeah. So, and I know you've done a lot of training with your mind. And, yeah. and I believe that it's in those moments where we, we're really, we got to turn on those skills. You know, it's easy to be relaxed in a bathtub mm. with a glass of wine and nice mm-hmm. music and a candle. But can you tap into that platform of calm when you're looking at something that could be a lifelong devastation Mm, on your mm -hmm. body, right? And we know how powerful the mind is, what we focus on expands. Mm -hmm. So how are you navigating that? Like go back to that time when I was specifically when you were checking out the symptoms. Well, prior to that, you know, I was, I honestly thought I I was losing my mind because I, I just, it didn't make sense to anybody. And it didn't make sense to me how much pain I was in for not being injured. Um, so when we got the diagnosis or even like the thought of Lyme, I just started looking ahead and, you know, you can go through all this stuff, but it was almost, it was almost, um, it felt good because I had, because I had a reason why. And I knew that there is a way to treat it. You know, you hear the horror stories of a lot of people having chronic Lyme and stuff. And, um, but the prognosis that the doctor provided me and just looking at my symptoms and, and, and what you can do about it, it, it just gave me hope, basically. And, and that's kind of what I banked on. And um, my mind, you know, obviously did go to some of those, those places where it's like, oh, no, like that this is the end of, mm-hmm. end of everything. I have to deal with this for the rest of my life. But I think over the years, like I've had injuries, I've, cha- I've been through divorce, I've been through a lot of ups and downs. And the biggest thing for me and even working with Craig Manning is, is just being in the moment and allowing things to let be. Like, um, I know it sounds kind of, kind of not easy or, or, you know, a cliche kind of thought, but it really is just kind of accepting where you are and, and keep trying to move, like keep trying to go ahead. Um, and so it's just, it's just one day after the next and, um, yeah, so that's, I keep that mindset in because you, because you, because I have to, I don't know how I'll feel tomorrow or the next day. And 
So it's yeah, just... Yeah, we, we like to call that following the breadcrumbs. Like you're just, you're oh, following the next, the next <laughs> one, the next one. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Before going to the loaf of bread, like that, that's way at the end. Like, yeah. Just keep picking up the pieces as they come. But there's a detachment there, right? You need to detach from, from what you expect there to be. Oh, definitely. Like there is no 100% cure. Like here's the cure. Okay, this yes. is what I, step one, two, and three. That's what yeah. I need to do. So the detachment is huge. And so in your sport too, you must work with that a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, yesterday in the back of your mind or Sunday, back of your mind, you're like, wow, like I could potentially win or I could like, there's, well, there was no chance of me winning. <laughs> <laughs> right, so no chance of winning. It was either finishing or, or not. <laughs> so let's use the finishing. So you had to detach from that too. And just, I'm going to start to swim. Yeah. And then I'm going to get through every stroke yep. and then I'm going to hop on the bike Yeah, and then I'm going to take my pedal stroke and go one lap. Yeah. And then the second, and just that's keep it, that's exactly what it was. Processing. And it was, and it was neat. Cause like every time I go into a race and I'm healthy and I, I, and I plan to do the entire race, you kind of have a different mindset a little bit. And this race actually taught me a huge change because quite, quite honestly, we decided to jump into Ironman Boulder like three days before the event. And it's like, okay, you've been swimming, you've been biking. So let's just see what you can do. And I'm, so then I talked to Tim, I'm like, well, how about I run a couple miles? He's like, well, okay. <laughs> and I said, I'll just run to you. And I had a plan to have my bike at a friend's house and a change of clothes. Like I had it all set up. And it was just such a neat opportunity because I had no expectation. And it, and it allowed me to focus, honestly, on one stroke, one lap. And, and I just took it as it came. And it was just like, um, it was really empowering, actually, to be to never see more than your first like your very next step or stroke. And, um, I sometimes get that when I'm racing, it's kind of like this quiet, um, this quietness in your head that you have and everything just kind of flows, but I've never experienced a race where I just, well, let's see what happens. Kind of, kind of. Yeah. There was no expectation whatsoever. And when we can remove that expectation. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have goals, right? Like yeah. your goal was to get to mile three, you know, yep, but <laughs> because you didn't have a hard line on that, you ended up finishing the whole thing. And when we can, we can lift those, those expectations, which bring so much pressure for the future, we have freedom. Mm-hmm. So you had all this freedom in there mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, you were given you were given such a gift in that experience because mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see how the experience on Sunday translates to the hundred percent healthy at the starting line yes, me too. race, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because definitely. everything builds on, mm-hmm. on everything, right? Just mm-hmm. like you're taking all these steps, um, to work towards your health and you'll get there, you yeah, know, you'll definitely. get there. When I lived here, um, gosh, it was 16 years ago. I was 30 years old and I got West Nile virus and oh, wow. in the, in the summer where there was like 2,600 cases and I was the second person to get it. Hmm. So it was crazy. And I had went to the hospital and anyway, I had a really insane experience, but it was such a gift because it opened me up to the world of holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. And I remember I sat with a homeopath, this girl who was in school for homeopathy. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, there's no cure. They said, there's no cure and I might die and I might get paralyzed. And she just laughed. She was like, of course there's a cure. <laughs> there's a cure for everything. Yeah. Like there's no limits of what your body and mind can heal, mm-hmm. can can rid itself of, can detoxify itself and heal itself. Mm-hmm. Like our bodies are always organizing towards health, just as yours is right now, just mm-hmm. as mine is. But it's just, we have different labels about what that looks like. So when you say that, you're in the moment. Um, and this is a big thing with racing. Like we want to be in the moment because we all know that it's 90% mental, if not more than that on race day. For you, how do you be in the moment? Like, what does that mean to you? Um, a lot of the times it's, it's all about trying to reset. So if I find that my mind is, is, is traveling elsewhere, I just, I do a big exhale, like, and it just kind of brings me back to that moment right there. And then I just, I just constantly go back, 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 back into like an exhale. And I try to think about one thing that I'm doing at that time. There were times in the race, like, like even in the swim, you know, I would think ahead or I'm like kind of getting panicky or something like that. And a lot of the times I just try to find a rhythm. So I, so I think about what my, what I'm doing, either swim, bike or run. And I just try to find a rhythm and I try to like, it's, it's kind of like if you dance, like you have to be in the moment as you dance, unless, I mean, I don't know, but like it, but, but it feels that way. And so I just, I just, I really honestly think about, about being able to dance. And so when I'm dancing, I'm always in the moment. And, and so, and it's always about a rhythm. And so I, I have that mindset. And then I also, um, it's, it's kind of like a switch in the head where, um, like the best times that I'm out, uh, training or, or anything is just when it's quiet. And so I just try to shut off my thoughts. So if I'm thinking, I just tell myself to stop and then I focus on my breath and, and things just become clear and it just becomes, and then you become aware of the birds, the wind, the, you know, everything outside of you. And, and that creates being in the moment even more. And, uh, that's exactly what happened on the race day. When we're in the moment, what I've noticed, and I noticed this the most one day when I was in yoga and I was in child's pose and it was like one of the, just like the beginning of a class and we were there for, I don't know how many minutes. And the teacher said, notice how available you are right uh, now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I am <laughs> so available. I could hear the cars on the highway behind the building. I could hear the co- like it was next to a Starbucks because so I could hear like the frappuccino <laughs> machines. I could hear all this stuff happening, but I was undisturbed. Mm. And that to me was when like a layer of understanding of what it meant to be um, present came in. So that you can be in the middle of all of this stuff, but mm-hmm. then you're tapping into that part of you that's, that's undisturbed, that's mm-hmm. unchanging, that mm-hmm. just kind of sits there and watches it all. And the breath is always happening right now. So if we're 100% on our breath, mm-hmm. we're 100% present. And the exhales are governed by our, our healing nervous system. Mm. So going into that, now you're, now you're tapping into, you're bringing your awareness to something that's happening in the present moment, your breath. And then you're bringing your awareness to the present moment that's going to engage your healing nervous system mm-hmm. and calm you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, it's... It's so simple. It's mm-hmm. that simple. Mm-hmm. Just pay attention to your breath. But our minds want yeah. to under they they our minds, which are amazing tools. They, it's too simple to wrap our head around it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that the mind's not bad and the thoughts aren't bad. It's just 
nobody, and, and you're, you're doing this, nobody, not nobody, but most people don't understand that the mind is just a tool mm-hmm. that we can use to our advantage. It's this magnificent, brilliant tool. But most people, their awareness is so tied into what's happening in the mind that there's no space to even see that it's a mm-hmm. tool. Mm-hmm. You were talking about dancing. I love this because dancing mm-hmm. is creation. Mm. You have to be creative in that moment, mm-hmm. right? In the way that you're moving your body. And creativity can only happen in the present moment because creativity is not something of the intellect. Creativity mm-hmm. is something of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Intelligence and intellect are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. You can like be a Harvard scholar and not be intelligent, <laughs> right? Like yeah. uh, Elon Musk <laughs> is intelligent. He's a very intelligent man. He's creating all the time. Yeah. Um, so creativity is a representation of being in the present moment. And with dancing, you have to be... Yeah, definitely. You have to be in that present moment. I love that. Yeah, and and actually, just before this podcast, I had a call with Craig, and we were kind of talking about this stuff. And on the flip side of that, when you're in the present moment and you're aware of everything outside of yourself, that's when you can be assertive, and that's when you're yourself, because you don't have these external thoughts of people or like, what's going to happen, or what if this happens, or they told me to do this. And when you are in the moment and you're just presently there, that's that's you. And so you have this almost confidence inside you. And that's when you can execute on race day, when you can execute on, on things in life, because you're being assertive yourself. And, um, it's funny because, because we just really just talked about this and how focusing on an external environment can actually make you a lot more assertive and being who you are. Um, we just related that back to the race as well because I was able to execute something that I never thought possible and it was all just honestly just taking in the environment. It's so, it's so awesome. <laughs> I, I think, but it always hasn't been like this. No. So I think that's important for athletes out there. I think this is the essence of what, what we're trying to, to help people with is you can do it. Like mm-hmm. you weren't born to just be in the present moment. Oh, like no. you were just like, oh yeah, I just, I just breathe and I tap I was my a breath. type A student, kind of, um, well, type A person, you know, always, always concerned about what other people thought. And, you know, even the beginning of the races, it was, I was so nervous and like, just, well, what if this happened? What if that happened? And, and, you know, I wasn't racing. I was more trying to control the uncontrollable, you oh know, God, totally. you, just, you just can't do that. I live that role yeah. as well. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's exhausting yes. to live that way. Yeah. And I've had panic attacks before in races. I've had a few DNFs, you know, I've, um, and it, and it's all just mind, you know? It's, so when did it shift? When did it start to shift? Uh, honestly, it, um, when I started to work with Mark Allen, I worked with him in 2012, and he kind of opened me up to shamanism, which really is just being connected to Mother Earth, to to the outside world, to, to the nature. Fields. Yeah, and it was that like he first when I first worked with him, he he asked me um, like, why do I race? And this was before we even worked together. And um, I said, well, it's just this quiet moment I love. Like, like I always try to get to this quiet space inside me, and that's when I feel alive, and that's what I get sometimes when I race. And that's how we really kind of connected at first was, was, was that conversation. And um, I just learned more and more about shamanism. I went to a couple of retreats with him, and it just he, he, he relaxed my mind into a sense of, of seeing things in a different light, like 
the sun is still going to come up and go down every single day. And this race will not define me. This, this, this training day won't define me. And so he just kind of opened up my horizons a little, you know, I still had ups and downs and then there was, there was a lot of issues, but working with him first and first was kind of like the opening key. But I think that's the key with athletes too, is you have that will and drive to be better. Mm -hmm. And so you, you're open to what Mark was saying, like, versus like, put the the garage door down, like shut it. Like, no, this is what I do. But being open to these, these thoughts that maybe, and, and, um, learnings that you're not familiar with, but Mm. when they're, when they're conveyed to you and you have an open mind, like you, Mm -hmm. things start to, you can see that, you can see that perspective and you can begin to apply it to how you are navigating your life and your yeah. training and your racing. And I think a lot of people, like when I was growing up, I, I played outside all the time and I'm, I love nature. Like I really, truly like, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone inside them has an innate feeling of like a beautiful sunrise or sunset. And we always feel happy when we see them. Um, but I, I, I could easily connect with what, what he was saying. Whereas I think a lot of the times, a lot of athletes, they get kind of narrow-minded in terms of like, I have to get a certain amount of power, heart rate, water, and it's just so analytical. There's no art, there's no creativity. And that's, and if you're always focused on, okay, I need to maintain 200 watts. So, so, so someone could say that, yeah, that's being in the moment, but you're looking on something that basically is, is, is slightly not in your control. And, um, it's just, it's, it's not a mindset of being in, being in the moment because, well, because if you started doing 195 watts, like it just, the, then your mind starts going everywhere. And I think you just have to get away from the numbers sometimes and just really go with a feel. Yeah. Basically. I mean, there's the balance there. So we like, we like the, the numbers like, okay, oh, yeah, here's your, too. here's your <laughs> reference point. Here's your reference yeah, point. Human. Yeah. But you know what? Like what happens when you're out on the bike and your power meter blows yes. or your watch dies or now if you're so tied into those numbers, you are screwed. Mm-hmm. And those numbers are, oh gosh, they give you a fraction of the information yes. of what's actually going on mm-hmm. and what's going on within your body and what's going on within that moment because that number is not able to take in the field. Yeah. That number is not able to take in the heat mm-hmm. or the amount of shade or not shade that you're getting or the wind or anything like that. And and so, yeah, well, you, get, you get limited. I mm-hmm. think as an athlete, you get limited when you're tied so much to those. And I've seen what happens, you know, I've seen what happens when people's, technology breaks Mm -hmm. out there. I've seen it. I've been on the course. It's not pretty when you're tied to it. Now that's an expectation that that watch is going to hold its charge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the expectation can ruin the future of your race when that expectation is not met. Yeah. You know, it really sets us up for suffering. Yeah. So the race on Sunday, like I use power and I use heart rate a lot and I didn't really know what I could hold or sustain on the bike. Cause since I've been here, I can put out like a 10 minute effort and then things just go downhill after that, just because of the muscles and stuff. So I just kind of gauged it by heart rate. And when I got on the bike, my power meter wasn't working. It, it didn't work for some reason. It just, it just didn't connect. And it was the first time in a month that I did that. I'm like, okay, well, whatever, because it doesn't matter in the end. I'm just going to go by effort and feel. And then actually, even before the race, I had my watch on and Tim's like, 
you don't need that. I'm like, well, I want to know how fast I'm running. <laughs> Even if it is just a couple miles, like if it's 10 minute miles, that's fine. He's like, why? Like, like just run to me. I'm like, okay. So that was actually a really neat experience as well, because I didn't have a watch the entire run. And I, and I bet a hundred percent, if I had that watch, it would start me thinking like, oh, I'm at like 10, 30 miles right now. I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, but without the watch and without the time, I just focused on each mile and, and it just, it, it changed a whole perspective for me, definitely, especially where I'm at. There's so many gifts that are being given to you. And I think, you know, from looking at this from a really high spiritual aspect, you're saying how much you like have connected with nature your whole life. Mm -hmm. And then here it is that this thing that you love has literally like bitten you. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, and now you're in this, you're in the shadow part of something that you love. You're yeah. in that like shadow experience of like, you've got some, some lower frequency energies in your body right now that you mm. are using these higher frequencies of present moment awareness and flexibility and creativity to, to move through this. And you know, mm. you're going to get out of this. You are going to mm. be on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. And because of the way that you're approaching it and because of your strong mindset, like your true mental training, you're going to be free and clear on the other side. Like mm. I don't, I believe that you, one of the reasons you came here on this earth was to get to the other side of this experience that you're mm. having. And when you think about every wave of life that we've experienced that's been intense. Like I've never looked back and said, Oh, I didn't learn anything from that. Yeah. Like I didn't grow from that, you know? And, and maybe there are some folks out there that, that can't see that, mm -hmm. but with a mind like yours, where you're expansive and you're open and you're taking it all in for what it is and not getting too caught up. And, and that doesn't mean that you are not subject to negative thought and doubt. I'm sure oh, that that comes in. <laughs> yeah. I am not immune to that at all. Like I definitely comes in, but I choose to focus on the higher end of whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's like this, there's this perfection that's happening in your life right now. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel that when you come through the other side, like when you come through that gate free and clear, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of knowings and wisdom that's been bestowed on you because mm -hmm. you're open to the experience that you're in right now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so amazing. All right. Let's, um, I want to jump into race like a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that because it's been I'm super fun. Yeah. You're big on community and, and, um, you know, as, yeah. as part of our human condition, connection is so important. Mm -hmm. So tell us about Race Like a Girl and what was the inspiration for bringing her to life? Yeah, when I, when I moved to Boulder a couple years ago, I, um, I started thinking back to all my homestays that I had over the years and, and, how, and how I got in this sport. And I really was able to connect with people all over the world and um, j j just because of the homestays at first. You know, they took me in, they took care of me, I was able to race and I have friends now all over the country. And triath triathletes, there's groups, but it's a very individual sport. You know, everyone's trying to make time to go get their long run in, their long ride. And it's, and it's hard if you have family and work. And so I wanted to create some type of um, community online because everyone is so connected now and, and have the chance and the ability to connect someone from Florida all the way to Washington, if they're going to go to a race together, rather than because sometimes it's it's hard to create a community even in the even in the community that you live in. Um, so I just started 
you know, putting some thoughts on paper and then uh, created a website and, and try to try to instill this idea of a global community. And it started two years ago and we, we, um, it was just, it was just overwhelming how many people were really, really wanting to do, to get into it. And now it's in our second year, we've done, um, a number of events that I've been able to hold and like help out the other athletes work, we're connected on apps, on face group groups. Um, you know, I, I, I allow um, everyone to contact me at any time. You know, they have access to my emails, my phone number, like everything. And so we're just always connected. And so far there's been, there, there's been groups all over the country where they've actually gone out for rides, that they've been to races together, they've stayed at each other's homes. It's just, it's just been so rewarding. And they're just so supportive. Like when I got here and I got diagnosed with Lyme, they sent me flowers, like a group on the team and, um, uh, and so right now, I believe we have 130, um, and it's global. So we have people in Canada, Australia, Europe. And I actually, this morning, I just got a couple emails from a, a gal in Austria and the Netherlands. Um, so Isn't it's it so been, amazing it's been that fun, really fun. And like j- just to see everybody's results and support each other. And um, there's. Sorry, mixed speed. <laughs> That's okay. Mixed um, expression. He's got to say something. About um, it. <laughs> uh, you know, if so, if someone has a bad day, we're all there for them. Like, and everyone's just been really, really open with each other. And part of and part of it being just all women allows us to really connect with each other a little bit more. And so, things that you wouldn't want to put out out to an everyday person, we're able to ask each other questions and answers. And um, we always j- joke that we're gonna dominate the world and so we have this like <laughs> internal this internal chat about it all about how we're gonna go about doing it. that so how is it gonna happen <laughs> well you'll have to find out <laughs> it will happen <laughs> i think um communities of like mind like tribes and um i'm gonna use that word even though i've seen some people i've seen a few people on facebook saying things about like how communities are now using this word tribe and how mm. you shouldn't use it because it's for this and bubble and I'm like I am so like I was going to say over but I'm going to say above I am mm. so above rights and wrongs of, mm-hmm. of how to speak and <laughs> what to do so yeah. I really don't care anymore because my intention is always um for the collective the mm-hmm. highest good of all in creating community and the thing that I find about community is when you bring together these tribes of like-minded individuals like mm-hmm. these women in race like a girl there is this openness and this safety that happens where people can support and mm-hmm. hold accountable and you know express themselves in a way that's really healthy and healing. Mm-hmm. And here's an example. So the other day during the race, I was watching my husband like for the first time break top 10. And I was just watched like every checkpoint. It was like he was in ninth, he was in eighth, he was in seventh. I was like, oh my God, like, whoa. And I, and, it, and I could feel like, you know, all about like the neural pathways mm-hmm. and stuff. I could feel new files being created in my brain. Like, okay, this is the level from which we race now. Like, this is mm-hmm. so exciting. And I was so excited. And I was like, and I could feel all my energy wanting to go out, mm. right? But I know that, like, I want to keep that energy nice and powerful inside so I could connect with BJ through, like, non-locality and, like, <laughs> send him this this information. But I, ha- I was like, okay, I'm not strong enough to keep this all to myself. Who can I turn to? Mm. And I went to our team page on Facebook, and I went live on our team page, and I gave everyone kind of an assignment oh, to awesome. just take a breath. <laughs> And to feel what it will feel like for them to have a coach who reaches his dreams. And, you know, and I said to them right off and I said, I didn't know who to turn to. And I didn't want to put this out 
to everyone because then I would have allowed this energy to be subject Mm. to Mm -hmm. energies that are not aligned with what was in the highest and best Mm. for the community, for our community. And so I turned to them, you know, and it's like, it's so, it was so cool in this moment. I was like, I've got this amazing, we've got this amazing team of athletes and we are all about the highest and best for every single person in there. And so I was able to turn to them and I was able to, you know, not pretend like, okay, well, you know, I help run the team. Like I was just one of them. Like, all right, you guys, let's come Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love so much about these communities. You know, we have a mindfulness and meditation community, M21 Revolution, where we've got 50, you know, 50 or so people that are coming together that are changing their lives through meditation, whether that's that's five minutes or 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. And what I'm seeing, and this is what I was getting at, what you're seeing with Race Like a Girl is that the members, the tribe members are now interacting oh, yeah. with the mm-hmm. members. And I mean, if, if, if there's a triumph and, an, and a success to mm-hmm. see someone in Australia connect with somebody mm-hmm. in Indiana, yeah, it's so <laughs> mind-blowing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, actually, we had just recently, there was the Hanu half and we had a, a gal there and she had to fly through Vegas to get back home to Milwaukee. And she, she connected with two of our gals that were there. And so that wouldn't have happened. Like she, she had a homestay there and everything. So yeah, it was really neat and really neat experience. And then the, and just to go about with like the reason I race like a girl is it's, it's really about empowerment. You know, I'm, I'm so above or over, I guess you could say at the same time about like being a girl, you know, and it's, it's not about feminism or anything, but it's just, it's, it's more symbolic to me of, of being who you are. And, you know, when I was a young girl, I, I love sports. I love, I love the dance of the race. I love just being in the moment. I had fun. And part of, part of racing to me is that. And the reason it's called I race like a girl, because, um, it's that friendly play that you want to always have inside yourself and yet still be very strong and like be confident and be the person you are. And, so it really symbolizes that to me. And, to, and, and you know, a lot of times, I didn't on Sunday, though, because my hair's getting long, but I, <laughs> I always wear pigtails just because it's just a simple reminder to me to, to, to have fun. You know, it's really just a fun sport and, a, and it's a way of life and, and it's a way of thought. And it's a, being a triathlete, professional triathlete, is a role that you play in this life. Yeah. It's a role true. that you play, right? <laughs> yeah. So play it. Yeah, Have exactly. fun with it. Yeah. This whole thing is just a game. Oh, totally. You know, and we're in, and just like every game, we can, we can, you know, be skillful at it or we can have no idea or no willingness to learn how to play that game. And I've been having a lot of fun with like the identifying the roles that I play in this life and then playing mm-hmm. them. Like when I'm mm-hmm. out on the trails, I'm like ultra runner girl. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, just getting dirty and like really playing that role to exhaustion, Mm. like fully inspecting all the corners of it and having fun with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, life is just, it's just a series of moments. It's just a series (laughs) of moments. And every single one of those moments we're creating because there's always creativity in a moment. So it's whatever our feeling is, whatever it is that we're indulging, it's that feeling that is the creation of what we're creating for the next moment. And the next moment and the Mm, next moment. I can't, yeah. Right? Oh, totally. (laughs) It's so fun. Do you want to talk about shamanism a little? Yeah, because I wanted to get back to, I had a little note here about about fear. So let's go back to the Mark Allen and you're being introduced to shamanism 
and what are you, so you're finding this connection. You're like, oh my gosh, like, and here's the perfect blueprint, right? Like you're walking kind of into this and you're like Mm -hmm. not even realizing that, or you are realizing that from a young age, you've already kind of got this peace, Mm -hmm. this connection to nature. So under this realm of studying shamanism, how does that connection grow into your own self-development? Well, when I first started with Mark, it was just more just conversations that we had. And then he said, you should come to a retreat with us. So I went to a Mount Shasta retreat and stayed there and camped with him and Brant Secunda. And, you know, it was just, it was just overall just empowering. It was a three day retreat. We camped, we, um, we got introduced to a lot of rituals. We had to spend a lot of time, like quality time alone in nature. And, and, you know, that just opens up the mind, um, and, you know, there was no electronics, there was no phones. Um, it was just, it was really neat. And so since then, you know, I, I, I just embrace being outside. And, and you, you know, I don't do all the rituals every day and stuff. But um, when I got diagnosed with Lyme after, I, I, I was told to take some time off. And so I just kind of looked online and, and something told me to just to look at Mark. <laughs> and so I, I went online and, he, um, they were actually doing a retreat about two hours away from where I was outside of Boston. I was like, well, this, oh, this Kripalu? is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we love Kripalu. Oh, yeah, we love it. There. We used to oh, go there for our anniversary oh, every year. Oh, it's yeah. just phenomenal. Oh my God. Best food. Yeah. Oh my God. Best Silent food breakfast. ever. I think I gained a couple pounds just because <laughs> oh my the God, food was so good. Cashew cream. <laughs> yeah. Like the cat on the, on the desserts. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, it was a neat experience. So I went there and it just kind of re reinvigorated me and um uh it's just it really changed in it it like when you get connected with nature and we are and we all can connect with nature it but if you're really aware of it it just it changes you it it makes you feel good like um I can't explain it anywhere else it's just it's a very simple process it's not like you have to meditate for hours on end to become aware of it you just have to be open to it and um, I think that's what Mark did for me. He really just opened up the door for yeah. me to actually see. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think my progression with connecting with nature and how, for me, that's turned into this knowing that I live in an extremely abundant world and abundance has has nothing to do with my bank account. Like, mm. there can be abundance in everything. And if I'm seeing abundance in everything, then I'm seeing abundance in my bank account. You know, like... Whatever that looks like in this moment, like right now, I am healthy. I am here. I'm mm-hmm. with you. I'm connecting with you. Like I'm with the three of us and Mick. And like there's so much abundance in this moment. And so for me, the first step was like just noticing nature. Mm. Just noticing mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I've never noticed that tree before at the end of Or stopping on runs and just looking up under a tree. Oh, definitely. So I started yeah. to just notice. And then after I started noticing, then that got deeper on its own. So I started to notice like the layers of bark. Um, we'll just take trees, for example. Then it went even deeper, noticing how many leaves were on the tree. And I was like, whoa, that, okay. Now I'm starting to understand abundance more, right? Mm-hmm. And then I started to notice the space between the leaves, hmm. right? And now what I see is I see the trees from the inside out. Mm-hmm. I see the core. I see the veins in the leaves. I see, I track where I see new life. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. and that started by just noticing mm-hmm. a tree mm-hmm. on a drive to the end of the street that I did, you know, a hundred times a week. 
there's patience, mm-hmm. right? That goes along with this. And for somebody that says that they're not patient, right? So we see that. I used to be totally type A. Like, I love those people. I totally get you. Like, I couldn't sleep at night, panic attacks, the whole thing, right? Lived the role, lived that role to the max. I never thought I was a patient person. Mm. Now I can just wait all day long. That is something I still need to learn. <laughs> I am not very well. Patient. Good, so you're you're still in the process. I'm in the process. So that's of what I want to speak things. to is yeah. so the person who's like, I'm not patient. I can't sit just still and look at a yeah. tree. Like, yeah. I can't do that. I'm too. I, my mind's too busy. I'm. I can't sit down. Like, what do you have to say to that? Because you're. You're in this process of -hmm. of dropping that role, appreciating Mm -hmm. that role, but moving into something way more Mm -hmm. expansive and powerful. Well, when I say I'm not very patient, I, I, I'm not patient when I don't know things. Like when I didn't know this diagnosis, I I was, you know, I want the bottom, I want to get to the bottom of this. Well, I think that's the mind, like the mind wants to know. Yeah. And And then, and and then you have freedom. Yeah. Um, But in terms of just overall impatience, like I still have to deal with that a lot of times, you know, and some of the biggest things that I found were just like, if you can't just sit there, go outside for a walk. Like, like if you feel like you need to be productive, then, then make, um, an easy task productive by, by adding some type of activity. Like before I came here, I had about five or 10 minutes and I just went over to the park next door and I just sat there and it was just nice because it just kind of made me reflect and like look at the grass and just enjoy the sun. And, um, you know, you really only need to step away from work for 15 minutes and just go for a walk and you'll, you'll see a change in your mindset rather than trying to work eight hours on a computer each day. If you just take five minutes here, 10 minutes there, go outside, take a few breaths. It just, that's the patience you want to learn and develop because then you can come back to work and you can focus rather than just like, I'm on a time clock and I have all this stuff to do. And then your mind starts wandering where you just, it's these, it's a mini reset everywhere. That yeah. kind of helps yeah. it. versus the pushing through. Like I used to work exactly. in, in an office as a web designer and my yeah. web projects would be like, okay, we well, got to get this done. Of course I'd wait till the last minute. So then it's like up to like midnight and I'm still working. But then when things started to shift, I would take every 20 or 30 minutes, I'd walk away from my desk uh, yes. and just take yeah. a reset, a walk or yeah. just, a, a, just go get coffee or something, just get out of the office. And I think, I think we don't know it. Like we're on autopilot, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and we're just we're conditioned to push through. We're conditioned mm-hmm. to continually go. And we don't have that thought of like, well, what is the actual benefit of me doing this? Mm-hmm. I'm spinning my wheels for hours and hours when I could just walk away mm-hmm. and like you said, reset mm-hmm. and then come back. And you may not have the answer that time, mm-hmm. but the more and more you do it, the more clarity mm-hmm. and perspective you can have on the situation you're, yeah. you're working through. And to bring that to racing, like obviously we have a mindset and we're very focused on getting to the finish line but at the same time like even on the race this past weekend I I had to mentally reset every mile and when I'm on the bike and it starts to hurt and I've and I have this one set that I have to finish the race it's great like you have a focus but at the same time you need those resets or you'll never get to that focus because that's when the worry and the doubt and all these things because these expectations you have to get to that finish line are there rather than just like resetting yourself okay let you know just having these small goals or these small, these small reset moments that kind of just realign yourself to what you're doing rather than this external goal that you have at the end of the race. And the resets, the resets are the work. This is where the growth happens. Mm-hmm. The growth does not happen by an unwillingness to reset and a, just this strong will to like endure and push through. Mm-hmm. Now, 
that's not to say that I want to make something really clear because I've been saying lately on the show, like, you know, mental training is not like pushing through. It, it is to a degree, but it's what is your relationship to the pushing through? Are you mm. pushing through like the, I'm going to make this mm-hmm. happen? Like that super strong self-will mm-hmm. that can give you everything you don't want mm-hmm. in your life. Or are you saying, whoa, this is like ridiculously <laughs> intense Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take that exhale right now. Mm-hmm. And I know that this intensity is going to continue, but I'm going to continue to also in the midst of this quote unquote physical pushing through, I'm going to, I'm going to do the work. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to get the growth right here, right now by tapping into something that's happening right now, my breath. Mm-hmm. And actually a good way that I think of it as you have a door and you're trying to open it, trying to open it and you're frustrated because you can't get it. The key's not working. But if you just take that little reset and, and turn the key and open the door, it's, it's that little calmness that you have, then the door opens and you're free to go and you're free to go to the next level in, in your racing or your life and your mindset. And um, otherwise, you're always just struggling because you're stuck at that doorway when it's really just a simple click. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's the difference between like resisting. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to what you said at the beginning, like resisting what is mm-hmm. and just being a part of what is. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like just being in, knowing the, that the what is, is the field, mm-hmm. right. And you're in that field. Mm-hmm. And so what can you do to shift your relationship in a moment to, um, to be more at one with what it is that's happening. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who white knuckled my life like insane, I had to control everything from oh. the conversation to, you know, the temperature of the food to <laughs> the outcome of everything. Oh man, like just reset after reset after reset after reset. What happened was is that I was able to let go. So that was my big thing. I never understood how to let go. I was kind of looking for that, like, here's the one step process to letting go. But what I didn't realize is that the letting go all happens with the just the reset, the reset, mm-hmm. the reset, the reset. Because the more that you deepen your relationship with the present moment, the more you're aware of the brilliance mm-hmm. of what it is that's being delivered to you and for you. Mm-hmm. Not to you, but mostly for you, always for you. Um, that's how I learned to let go, was just to be more present. Like mm-hmm. to be willing to reset in a moment when, you know, maybe everything in my mind said, just make it happen. I was like, no, mm-hmm. that doesn't feel good. That's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And all of these like byproducts of just resetting, noticing that exhale, Mm -hmm. maybe noticing the inhale, maybe noticing the space between the leaves on a tree, the byproducts of that, the simplicity of that practice are life-changing. Oh, definitely. They are life, and they're sustainable because once (laughs) you start to experience like, oh man, there is Mm -hmm. this super cool plan here. And when I just let life unfold, it's so fun. Mm -hmm. It's so, (laughs) like this game is like, okay, I'm in it now. I don't want to abandon this game anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to to stop, you know, like, oh, just when I can get to this vacation or just when I get through this week mm-hmm. of work, I hear, we hear that so much. When I get to this point, then. Yes, then right. I'll do but, this. What, right. But what they're not <laughs> seeing is like, if you're not doing the work, then getting yeah. to the end of that work week does not change you're a still, thing. You're yeah. still you. Like, you're yeah. still yourself. Like, yeah. And how fun is a game if you if you control the whole thing, you know, it's, it, there's, there's no sense of funness. No, and nobody wants to play with you. Nobody wants to play with you. Nobody wants to play with you. 
Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants. Seriously, like yeah. that is that is that's the loser way. No. <laughs> You want to lose. Yeah. I don't want to lose. That's why I love working with athletes because mm. athletes want to be their best, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I want to be my best. So that's how I've shifted my control of like trying to make everything around me perfect. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can just, I can already tap into what's in there, mm-hmm. which is already perfection. So how can I take that perfection and spread it out throughout mm. all these roles that I play <laughs> in this amazing field that I get to live in and then, and see that, like that's, to me, that's the best of the best. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. What has been your nutrition like moving into, mm. into being a professional athlete and then from there to in this recovery stage, like the past six months, six, like, yeah. yeah, have you been getting curious about the foods that? Oh, I definitely, inside? um, you know, when I first started an athlete, I, you know, I was pretty particular, but I didn't know the ins and outs of proper nutrition. You know, I always thought it was low fat, you know, the standard kind of thing that we're told. Um, when I worked with a few coaches, I, I went on a more higher fat diet. Um, but it now, um, you, just throughout the last six months and stuff, like I always focus on having my race and training nutrition during racing and training. So you really have to train your gut, I feel, to perform. Like on the race day on Sunday, I think, you know, I had all sugars, you know, and I, I don't I don't eat a lot of sugar. Um, but during training and racing I do because that's just what I sustain myself on when I race. But outside of that, it's really I stick to the essentials, you know, fruits, vegetables, some lean meats. Um, I'm definitely more of a veggie person than ever. And since this, since this, um, Lyme infection, it's really about trying to detox my body as much as I can. Like, like sugar and all the stuff that we take in training is obviously not very good for you, (laughs) but you have to look at it as a fuel source for your training only. Outside of that, I look for, 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 quality stuff. Um, you know, I, I really try to have a a simple salad a day with a variety of, of vegetables. And that's just kind of a simple key I look at. Um, but for the detoxing, it's, it's really trying to get rid of anything that the body's not supposed to really have, you know, anything that's man-made or processed and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually, when I was prior to being, being on any of the antibiotics and stuff, um, you know, I drink, um, coffee and I obviously am a Red Bull athlete and I, I use that, but I would use it in training. But before this, I was so tired that I relied on caffeine like you wouldn't believe. And since I've had this, these, these drugs in me, um, they've cleared a lot of stuff up and, and like in the morning I can barely fit, finish a cup of coffee now. It's like the body kind of just switched on me and it's like, you don't need this anymore. And I think you can really learn as you eat food and your body can tell you exactly what it needs. Um, so I've been more in tune with that for sure. Oh, it's huge. And you're just, you're cleaning everything up. So things that maybe you used to go to, you don't, you don't go to anymore because it's a toxin. Yeah. Like (laughs) your body doesn't want it. Your body doesn't, I've experienced the same thing. There's many things that have fallen away that they just fall away naturally, yes. you know? All right. I just, I'm going to, cause I brought up the F word. I want to just ask her one more question about fear yes. because you've had a huge opportunity to live in fear. Oh, definitely. Um, yep. let's just talk about like since November <laughs> and, but the practices that you do and the awareness that you have and the mindset training that you've done, like how it, how has your relationship to fear shifted? I look at it as opportunity 
I think is what I would have to say. Like, I'm not like, yes, I have butterflies. I was scared at the start of the race, but I wasn't fearful. I was like, whatever happens, happens. I've had panic attacks. And actually when I was swimming, you know, the start of the race is always frantic and stuff. And I could feel this anxiety come up to me. And that was my fear of like, but then I, but then I start questioning, like, what am I fearful of? It's, you know, it's just an opportunity of this moment. And so the, the mindset of being, being afraid is, is not really there. Now, mind you, if I'm on like a cliff and I have to jump, I'm definitely still fearful and I will not jump. But, but the, the fearful in everyday life and the stuff that I do, it's, it's a challenge. It's an opportunity. That's the only way I can see myself being able to grow. Um, cause I, cause I look back at when I, when I don't push myself to those limits and I don't feel a growth inside me. And, and actually there was a, there was a moment like nine weeks ago when, I, when we didn't know what, what was going on. And I, I woke up at three in the morning and, you know, just like sweating to death. And I was just like, it was off and I'm crying. And Tim comes over to the couch after and, and, I, and I'm like, something is seriously wrong. And it's just like, I'm just not growing. There's like, something's holding me here. And it was just the infection. It was just like, um, uh, I, I couldn't see past the present moment because I wasn't seeing the opportunity. And I was having fear at that time to kind of take over that position and not allowing me to see the growth that could happen. And so, and, and the growth that could happen was like, was like understanding something seriously wrong and, and, and being confident in that, being assertive in, in, in how I was feeling rather than having this external environment and external people saying, you're fine, you're doing all this stuff where it was just, it was just, it was a letting go almost like it's not fear. It's just like accepting what is. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> Perfect place to end. You're yeah. awesome, Angela. Uh, I, thank you. <laughs> I am, I just, I see the beauty. I see the beauty in all of this. You're experiencing this because your experience is not only benefiting others right now, but I know that you're going to be in service yeah, of I've a community a of people <laughs> or one yeah. person or whoever it may be. You're going to be teaching this ability, maybe just from living the example of it. But yeah, it's beautiful definitely. because for what the, the shadow of life that you're experiencing right now is going to bring so much light in the end. I hope you guys loved this as much as I did. I am so grateful to Angela for her time and for the connection that we now share for lovers of the mind and how we can shape it to our advantage. This is available to all of us, you guys. There is no mind that is too busy to be trained. The day that this podcast launches is also the day of our ninth consecutive M21 Revolution Challenge. If you've been dragging your feet, it's time. Let's do it. And if you don't know about M21, then check out the show notes for the link for more info. Also, ways to connect with Angela and I Race Like a Girl. Don't miss these blog posts, people. They are up there for a reason. All right, you guys, we're out. I am officially tapering down for the Black Mountain 50K on June 30th. Got my sights set on some longer distances in the future, and I'm not sure what will be my next race, but as with all things that I'm supposed to do in this life, I know it will be revealed in a perfect sequence of events and time. Until next week, relish in your exhales. Be willing to reset and know that the real work is always in the experience of now.